Hello, my name is Philip Mirton, and today we're going to have a conversation beyond science and religion. Breaking new ground in thinking, exploring the outer limits of what we know about the world and ourselves, unhindered by common beliefs and perceptions. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, taking on subjects from the Big Bang, the multiverse, and evolution, to the supernatural and the new rising consciousness. This is where scientists, philosophers, New Agers, and spiritualists come together to discuss where this world may be heading. Now, here's your host, lawyer, philosopher, and the author of The Heaven at the End of Science, Philip Meriton. Now, the mystery of merging science and religion is one of the perennial problems of our time. Those who have sought to do this job have usually failed, but the effort continues. And really, we face a question here. Well, science and religion always occupy two separate worlds, two separate buildings, a church and a science classroom. Or is there a way to put these two fields of thought together? Will faith and reason always be separate? Is it possible to be logical and also spiritual? This is the topic, the big topic, that we're going to be confronting on today's show. And I'm happy to have with me, uh, as a guest, uh, Roy Bork, who has uh, written a book on this very topic. Now, Mr. Bork is trained in the nuclear power field from the U.S. Navy. He has spent a lot of time, several decades, conducting independent research into science and religious topics. Also, during this time and during his life, he's had a number of mystical experiences that have shed light on his efforts to integrate religious concepts and scientific facts. His book, which we will be discussing a little bit here, is called The Merging of Two Worlds, The Convergence of Scientific and Religious Thought. Welcome to the show, Roy. Good morning, Philip. Okay, Glad well, to be with you. Great. Okay, well, we're going to... You know, we're not afraid to take on the big questions on this show. In fact, that's what I'm, I try to do every, every show. And what we're going to do here is we're going to see if we could find a way, uh, at least a concept, to merge uh, science and religion. Now, first of all, you wrote a whole book on this topic. Do you believe that a merging of these two worlds, science and religion, is possible. I believe it is possible, but I also believe that they will always keep in their own domain. But I think that one can overlap the two ideas. Okay, now now why do you think an effort to merge these two fields is necessary? Primarily because I believe that science without religion has no soul, and I believe that religion without science has no no it it's blind. So if one does not see the other side, one is losing a piece of the puzzle. Okay, now let's let's try to define some terms here. First of all, you know, the term religion is such a broad broad term. It it means all sorts of things to different people. For when when you talk about religion and this and this uh idea of merging, what what do you mean by religion? Religion to me is an understanding of the laws of the universe, uh, more so from a spiritual viewpoint, but still pertaining to the laws of the universe. So, so what do you mean by the laws of the universe? Do you, uh, do you mean the, the scientific laws or moral laws? Uh, what kind of laws are you talking about? Uh, and when it comes to religion, it's more dealing with moral laws, about how people can work effectively together without fighting each other. Unfortunately, uh, modern religion doesn't seem to go that way, even though it tries to teach uh, love among the brethren, it still has too many uh, opponents. Well, now, you yourself, uh, I understand, you were raised in a mainstream religious uh, setting, is that correct? Yes, I was raised as a Roman Catholic. Right. And they have certain specific beliefs that my personal experiences would cause me to question. 
Okay, now let's 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 get into this for a second because it's really remarkable how many people go through the same sort of experience of questioning the mainstream beliefs that they were brought up with. Why don't you tell us a little bit about maybe a turning point that you experienced when you started questioning some of these beliefs that you were taught as a young person. What was a turning point for you? Well, the, the, I have to give you a little preliminary. Uh, the Church taught me that God was apart from reality. Okay. In other words, reality was one thing, God was something else. And they also gave me the impression that God was somewhere else. So we believe in God, but He's not here. Uh, someday we'll get to meet Him. Right. And that is, that is what I was taught. When I had a personal experience, it, and I was meditating on God, it basically said that God is everything. That God is the fundamental of which everything comes from. That it is a part of everything. And that it is everywhere, and it is here. And the reason why we can't see it is because it deals with the invisible forces of nature, in which we see the effects. Yes, and I think that, that that really is a nice summary of sort of the state of affairs with the orthodox mainstream religious viewpoint, which is that we tend to place God in a different world, above the clouds, in heaven, in a different dimension, and it really leads to some conflicts when you think, even even just thinking about it for a little bit, you come upon some conflicts. For example, how can a God like this answer a prayer if there's no connection between God and the person praying or God in the world? And then we're also taught that, you know, God is one, all is one. And if all is one, then how does that explain a independent God? So I, I think that that, and, and really, you know, Roy, from my standpoint, sometimes we let symbols and metaphors take over our understanding of a field. A, a example here being that we, many of us go to church, or in the past went to church, and we see statues, we see Jesus on the cross, we see uh, paintings on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel and we we obviously see these things these symbols apart from us and therefore we assume that the symbol represents the reality and that the reality is apart from us when actually uh, that's most likely not true and my own feeling is it's definitely not true so what what was it in your upbringing that led you to the conclusion that God is really all, all, all around us, part of us, or part of nature. What, what did it for you? When I had this experience, I was nine years old at the time, and I really didn't know how to relate to it. I went to my Sunday school teachers to try to talk about it, and they said the devil was putting ideas in your head. I went to the secular school teachers, and they said I was having some kind of mental breakdown. <laughs> so at the time, I had no way to share what I had experienced. Eleven years later, when I'm in the nuclear power field and studying nuclear physics, everything I saw in that experience started to make sense. And so I was able to make the connection between what I experienced and what science was teaching as the unified field theory. Okay, and so... I says, I'm sorry, go ahead. So I, I need to go with this. Okay, so so what is it... Did you see a sort of an overlap uh, between the, let's, let's call it the quantum field theory or the fields of modern science and the concept of God? Is that what it was? Yes, it was, because when I was meditating on God, it was, it was showing me how the universe was ordered. Right. And that it all began from everything is reducible to a common denominator. And that if you want to know who the creator is, you need to look at what is doing the creating. That's what I had seen in my experience. I didn't know how to relate to that then. When I started studying nuclear physics, that's when it all started to make sense. That which is doing the creating 
are the underlying forces of nature. Which you, which you attribute to being God? In my mind, that's what I saw. That's what God was. Okay, so, so let's, can you be a, a little bit, I mean, to the extent you can be, a little bit more descriptive about what you saw. Okay, let's, okay, you're meditating, your eyes are closed, you're looking inward. What, what kind, did you see a vision? Was it a feeling? What, what was it? Actually, my eyes weren't closed. Oh, they were open. That's interesting. I was looking at everything around me, and I'm looking for, for God to appear. Right, okay. I wanted God to reveal himself to me. Right. And I was looking for that to appear separate from the things that were around me. And it was, I, I had this thought. It was just, you know, almost like talking to someone. I said, why are you looking for what is not there, and you can't see what is? So I started looking at everything around me, and I said, what am I not seeing? And, and then this chain of thoughts just began to flow through my mind, and I began to see how everything was connected. Uh, I, there was a tree standing next to me, an acorn fell. I'm looking at the ground. There's this sprout coming out of the ground. I dig into the ground where the sprout is. I see a decaying acorn. I'm saying, and of course I'm going through the leaves, and as deeper I go into the leaves, they seem to be changing back in the soil. So I said, well, the tree came from the soil, it's returning to the soil. It's another expression of the ground, but there's some energy process. And then I realized that the leaves change carbon dioxide into oxygen, which is life breathing to us, and I realized a lot of our food comes from the fruit of trees. So I also saw myself as an extension of the tree, and that when we die, we also return to the soil. So I said, somehow, underlying all of this, there's a connection. And that's what I equated as, as God is, is what underlying all of this, the fundamental. Yeah, I think that that's, that's, really, well, that's really well described there, Roy. And when you were talking, what strikes me about the current debate in between science and religion, and we're going to get to evolution in a little bit, and it's really uh, perhaps both best illustrated by the evolution versus creationism debate. But one thing that strikes me is how few people have really read or even know about some of the 19th and 18th century idealist philosophers that said a lot of the same things. And it's, it's one thing that's remarkable to me is that we tend to have these discussions thinking that the choices between what really is a materialistic science and then spirituality. Now let me be specific. Uh, George Berkeley who is often ridiculed by modern scientists, although, frankly, they can't get rid of him because a lot of things he says are consistent with quantum theory. He was the one, by the way, that is attributed with the saying that if a tree falls in a forest, will anybody, does it make a sound? Yeah, because his, his uh, he had a couple principles. One of them was to be is to perceive, and that his big one, which, I'm, which I want to emphasize here, is that he really thought that the world was essentially a dream in the mind of God, that that's what it all came down to. Then there's this other guy, uh, Frederick Schelling, a 19th century German idealist philosopher, who had this great line that really is consistent with, with what you just said. He had this line saying that, Nature is the mind made visible. Uh, nature, yeah, nature is the mind made visible, mind the invisible nature. So, and then we could get into the pantheistic folks, uh, the philosophers such as Spinoza. But I mention this because this notion that, that God permeates nature or is, or is equal to nature is, is uh, repeated throughout uh idealist philosophers in the got almost almost going back to Plato but it really is made explicit 
in the 17th and 18th centuries. So the bottom line here, Roy, is that there is a intellectual basis for what you're saying, and I think it's really neat that even even folks like you that have been raised in the mainstream religious tradition are coming to these conclusions that spirit slash God is all around us. So so that was so. This this happened. Those, when, those yeah. same ideas are also reflected in Rosicrucian doctrine. Right. They're also reflected in the Gnostic scriptures, and they're also reflected in Eastern philosophy. Right. Right. Exactly. Right. Right. Exactly. And this is one thing that's really exciting about about our modern uh, culture and about this. I'm going to call it the new thought new spirituality movement is that we're seeing a convergence of these different lines of thought now let's move to to the connection you made between this i'm going to call it uh nature mysticism or nature mystical experience you had with the quantum field was there a connection you made between these two concepts as well it's something that developed later I mean, I didn't understand the quantum field when I was had the experience. Uh, when I started learning a little bit about, I'm, I'm not heavy in the quantum theory, but I'm you know familiar with it, and that everything could be interrelated. Uh, what I saw was quantum field. Everything starts from the same thing, like subatomic particles. They're the same for everything that exists. All electrons are interchangeable. All protons are interchangeable. Every hydrogen atom in the universe is exactly like every other. Uh, One of the questions that came in my mind is, how is this possible? And no one can ever answer that question. How is it possible that every electron is the same? No one can answer the question. They only know the effects they produce. They can't know why an electron exists. They don't know why protons exist. They only know what they do when they're together and the structures that develop. And even the structures, uh, as far as atomic structure goes, nobody understands why it behaves the way it does. It defies classical mechanics as far as the electron shells and subshells. Uh, The octet rule is another one. They know it works, but nobody knows why. And so when the deeper we go, we come to what is called an ineffable mystery. Uh, it's the same ineffable mystery of religion. Okay, so, okay, can, so hold that thought for a second. This is Philip Merton. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. We're speaking with Roy Bork, the author of The Merging of Two Worlds, The Convergence of Scientific and Religious Thought. And we're on a very important topic, which is focusing on the peculiarities of particle physics and quantum theory and the mystery of why it is that for example all electrons all protons all particles scattered throughout the universe happen to be the same and then we get into the organized structure of matter right uh, right, Roy. There's there's so many yeah. tears. Yeah. There's so many tears here. I mean, I think it's it's a really amazing. It's it's a point that is overlooked so much. And my own view, and I almost hesitate to say this, but my own view is that it really points to the. I'm going to use a nice word. I'm going to say overconfidence of modern scientists. They they really don't think they have any competitors. So they just sort of take it for granted that oh. So the uh, 10 to the 80 power, that's how many electrons there is, something like that. 10 to the 80 power electrons, they're all the same. Well, if you have an explosion, a chaotic explosion that we call the Big Bang, how was it that this explosion just sort of sprayed out these particles that were exactly the same? I mean, it just, it doesn't make any sense when you think about it. And, I, you know, you also raise this, an additional point, which is that the deeper you go into this, this particle mystery, the, the, the bigger the problems get. And I think that that's, I think it's refreshing that you're, that you're pinpointing this point and, 
and uh, it's something that a lot of people overlook. So what what does this tell you? You use the word the octate rule. What is the octate rule? The, the octet rule is part of chemistry. It says that when atoms combine, they always form patterns that result in eight electrons in the outermost shell. Right. So when you're looking at chemistry and how it works, you know, when you put ideas together, uh, put elements together, the chemist is looking for these patterns. So they look at how many electrons are in the outermost shell of one element, compared to another element, when they put them together, they, they're going to form certain patterns because the end result will always be eight electrons in the outermost shell. It always works. No one can explain why it works, but it's the whole basis of chemistry. Yes, and that's, that's another sort of ingrained uh, order feature that is so easily overlooked. So what does this mean to you? So, you know, you have this, this mystical experience when you're, when you're nine, and then later in your career, you, you, have, you start having this understanding of field theory, quantum field theory. At some point, did you start putting things together? Did you start associating spirituality or God with the quantum field? Or, or what, what, what occurred next in your thinking here my feeling is that in order to test something it, it goes back to the scientific idea you, you've got to test your ideas right. religion is full of ideas but none of them are tested it's based on what people interpret from the scriptures but when you start testing it with science it says well you've got to question some of these mainstream doctrines and religion doesn't want to do that it sees science as a competitor, so it's hands off. Right. And yet, with science, a lot of the a lot of the ideas of spirit, God, can all be integrated with the concepts of science. I mean, the Big Bang theory, everything came from one. Again, when you start going into Rosicrucian doctrine, uh, the Gnostic scriptures, these people who are deeply involved in this stuff are all saying things that can be equated to the same idea. Everything started from one. And in many ways, everything is still connected. The fact that the fundamental laws are the same throughout the cosmos says that there's still a connection. Because no matter where these particles come into existence, they're all forming according to certain laws. But nobody knows why the laws exist. Yeah, I think that in many ways, you know, my opinion here is that Science has the metaphors reversed. They have their own metaphors. They they look at the particles of nature, the laws of of nature, and they marvel over how uh, synchronized they are, how mathematically precise the harmonies of nature. But they don't really have an explanation of where that harmony came from. And that, that is something that will never go away. That is the elephant in the room, as far as I'm concerned, with the modern science viewpoint. Where did the order come from? I mean, that's something you talk about, Roy. What, where, where do you think the order came from? Well, I don't think we can answer that question. Right. But what I do think is that by putting the ideas of God and science together, Right. that we can come to an understanding of what religion was trying to tell us all along, and that it can give some cohesion to the two and bring spirit back, right. and at the same time start weeding out the misconceptions. Uh, the misconceptions are what's going to destroy religion, and if they don't deal with them, I see religion as, as a dying field. Okay. Uh, the Catholic Church right now is going through major upheavals, we used to believe that the Catholic priests had the power to cast you into hell, and now we're seeing them as just these figures. A lot of people are walking away from the church, and it's because their ideas do not conform with what science is teaching us. Well, this, yeah. This, this war between the two, uh, it's like science blames religion for its problems, or the problems in the world. And religion is blaming science. And the blame isn't there. 
the blame is with people. You have good people, you have evil people. doesn't matter which side of the fence they're on. Um, so if you don't weed out the misconceptions, you're not going to be able to deal with the problems because you're always going to be blaming something that's not the cause. I want to, I want to follow up on that, but before I do, I want to answer my own question just so we don't keep things hanging. I said earlier... Uh, what was the source of the order, which is a completely unfair question, but I asked it anyways. Uh, I said that science marvels over the harmonies of nature, the mathematical symmetries, the laws of nature, but they don't have a source for the order. I think it shows indisputably that a mind and intelligence is behind the scenes, and I also think that of course God has a mind. I think God is a mind, and I think that's that's where the source of order is. So I so my thinking, Roy, is very similar to yours. It's it's different as we make it into here, but I just want to make myself clear that in my own view, I think science and spirituality can be united uh, along the lines that we're pursuing here, which is that at the source of the laws of nature is a mind. And there is a there's a book I think it's by uh, Henry Pagels. It's called Dreams of Reason, and in that book he clearly he, he's a he's a physicist. He comes out and he says that uh, to scientists uh, the laws of nature are God, which is exactly what what we're saying. What what I'm saying I think what you're saying, uh, Roy. But they view it metaphorically. I'm saying that the real God is at the source of the laws of nature so that so I wanted to answer my own question not and not keep that that big issue hanging out there now you now you said a lot of things I want to follow up on one of them is that you said that religion uh, is a dying field and you talked about it a little bit but can you be more specific what do you mean religion is a dying field well to me a good lecture is where a person talks and after the talk you get to question and answer period right and that gives you an idea to hash things out in religion it's i talk you listen when i'm done talking you go away <laughs> yeah uh, you don't get a chance to discuss it with me yes so if i'm wrong you have no way of, of reconciling that problem so as people are learning things aren't exactly the way it's being taught in the church they're saying I don't want to listen to that anymore yes yes I, I want dialogue yes I want two-way communication yeah my my feeling of the Catholic Church is that they never get past first grade they yes. go through a three-year program and at the end of the three years they go back to square one and start all over again yeah it never changes there's no place in the Catholic Church where you can get advanced knowledge. If you ask them where do you go from here, they're sort of like you're on your own. Yeah, and that, they don't even want to discuss it with you. Yeah, that that that's really well put, Roy, and it really mimics uh, what my thinking is because I was raised Catholic as well. And frankly, the reason why I gave up is because, and I'm gonna, I hope I'm not offending anybody, but I felt that they kept repeating themselves. I mean, I get the idea. I mean, I get the idea, but your point about a dialogue is is great, and it really leads to this this big question that is becoming more and more front center, which is that whoever created us or whatever created us, let's say it was God or a mind, we have a mind, we have the ability to question, we have an intellect. Well, are we supposed to put that intellect, that questioning ability to the side when we go in the church and just listen to these guys tell us what they think the Bible means? I mean, that doesn't mean, make any sense to me at all. And, and you know, I, I tell folks that you know, I'm a lawyer. I, I, preach, I approach any issue, whether it's the Big Bang, dark matter, chemistry, evolution, or spirituality, the Bible, as a lawyer would, I look at the evidence and the logic, and I can't, I cannot help but question. And so if we are going to burn in hell because we're questioning, that is, that to me is, it's, it's worth the risk. Because <laughs> I, well, I, I can show you a scripture that says prove all things. Yes. That's in Galatians. Yes. To me, that, that means what it says. 
Jesus said, that kingdom come, that will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I said, how do we do that? And they said, do what? And I says, what we just read in the Lord's Prayer. And they said, well, I don't think you understand. Uh, Satan is still in charge of this world. It's like, yeah. that seems to be where your focus is. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think that really what it shows, and I happen to think that different religions are more advanced than others, although they're, they're, uh, none of them are all that advanced, is that science, science progresses. By definition, science is supposed to be the search for objective knowledge using reason and experiment. The scientific method it progresses if you look at the history of science you'll see things progressing now I happen to think they take a lot of wrong turns and right now I think they're on a lot of big wrong turns uh, with with the multiverse for example and string theory but leaving that to the side science progresses religion stays the same and uh, you know if you look at studies on Islam one of the the uh, criticisms of Islam is that, and, and it really isn't of the religion, it's of the Islamic countries, is that because the Koran is, is, is their Bible and their constitution, they, they, there's an inhibition in some of the countries and some of the um, different um, systems of moving beyond what the Koran says. But, but similar to the Bible, they're, they're thousands of years old. And if we don't advance our understanding of these books, we're never going to reach the stage of spiritual development that we need to be at in order to, number one, appreciate the world we live in, but understand it. This is Philip Merton. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. I'm speaking with... Roy Bork, the author of The Merging of Two Worlds, The Convergence of Scientific and Religious Thought. We're talking about how mainstream religion in many ways uh, is a dying field and that we need to alter our perspective on these, on these issues in order to uh, do a better job of trying to merge religion and science. Now, you talk about uh, evolution in in your book, Roy, and this is this is a big one. the The debate between the evolutionists or the Darwinians and the creationists. Where do you come down in this debate? Well, let's take the Big Bang to start with. Okay. You have the Big Bang, and then you have this order associated with it. Uh, as the temperature drops subatomic particles precipitate out. Now, as far as I'm concerned, from the moment of the Big Bang, the emergence of subatomic particles was already a given. So what was going to happen? And then as the temperature drops further, they merge into hydrogen atoms. Again, from the moment the Big Bang occurred, hydrogen atoms was a given. It was going to happen. just a matter of time. And then as time proceeds, the hydrogen atoms start gathering together, and they form stars. And then stars start to develop higher-order elements. Again, from the moment the Big Bang occurred, that was a given. It was going to happen. Now, why was so it going to happen? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Why was it going to happen? Well, the fact that it did says that from the moment the Big Bang occurred, the the order of the universe would cause it to happen. So the fact that every electron in the universe is the same, that that is the result. But we have no reason to believe it would have been anything else. Hmm. Uh, from the moment that the subatomic particles combine into hydrogen atoms, we have no reason to believe that it would have been anything else. Well, what you're saying is what you're saying was preordained. It was. It was. It in, was... in many ways, uh, there were certain things that were preordained. 
I won't go into the details of the complexity. I do believe that as the, as it gets more and more complex, that uh, not everything that happened was going to be preordained. Well, but it, the it, fact, yeah, it, it comes like down. Like for instance, right. a star. Right. Uh, there's nothing preordained about where a star would form or how big it would be, but the idea that it would form. I mean, they happen all the time, and it's still happening. So it's it's like from the time that happened, certain things you could almost say you could predict it. Well, in retrospect, I mean, this reminds me of a couple of things. It reminds me of Fred Hoyle, who actually um, originated the, con the term the Big Bang, and even though he didn't believe in it at the time, but he has this uh, metaphor he uses about hun how unlikely it is that the that a Big Bang would have created a world of unlimited order. Uh, he uses the metaphor of of an explosion uh, leading to the creation of a Boeing supersonic jet. And of course, the even though a supersonic jet sounds like an incredibly ordered machine, it's nowhere as ordered as, for example, the living world. And so he he reached the conclusion that the universe appears like a set-up job or a put-up job. He used those terms. And so something appears to be uh, going on behind the scenes. There, you know, it's related to the anthropic principle, this principle that that um, because we are living creatures uh, in the world, we're experiencing it. Therefore, the laws of nature have to be have to have been designed to allow life to exist, or we wouldn't be here unless we could experience it. There's a little bit of a tautology there, but but I I think that your point is well taken. That it sure looks like that f the Big Bang had no choice but to lead in the direction of this of this order. But why don't you why don't you go on because I asked you about evolution and creationism and I sort of interrupted you. But you were talking about uh, you you started with the Big Bang. So why don't you continue uh, addressing that the point about evolution? All right. Uh, Richard Dawkins says that we're the intelligent result of unintelligent beginnings. I look at the atomic structure, and I say to myself, this could put any engineer to shame. Uh, everything that we build has to be conformed to what the atom will allow us to do. But the atom allows us to do many things the way it's structured. It's... When I look at atomic structure, shells and subshells all all spread out in a certain order, and that order leads to the octet rule of chemistry that determines what the patterns of nature would be. It's all built into the initial structure. So the initial structure is building upon it. Now, going back to Richard Dawkins, every DNA molecule in his body knows how to build him. So I don't know how he can say we're the intelligent result of unintelligent beginnings. Yes, yes. I, I make the same I make the same point in my own book, The Heaven at the End of Science, and I, I think it I would have not have made it unless I thought it was a good point. But here here's the way I would put it, which is ex almost exactly to what you just said. And DNA is a good example. The DNA molecule is this coded molecule, the spiral staircase of, of, uh, of protein or whatever it is with these, with these uh, molecules that are aligned so that they, that, that they constitute a code. There's no doubt that the DNA is an intelligent molecule. It contains a language. It contains a code that programs the production of proteins. And so it, it's always boggled my mind where these modern biologists, evolutionists, they say, okay, well, we've got the DNA molecule, but the DNA molecule generates random gibberish, and then the random gibberish just happens to create order. It, it, it doesn't make any sense to me, Roy. And I, I think that the way I would put it is that 
why can't we just conclude that the same intelligence that built the DNA molecule is also guiding the direction of evolution? I mean, why do we have to jump off the cliff and say it's all random gibberish and then jump back on the cliff? And well, they've even gone back to the point where they're saying that in the DNA molecule there are certain areas that are considered junk DNA. Right. And then in recent times they're discovering that this junk DNA actually has a reason for being there. Yeah. So they had to conclude that, well, it's not junk. It's just dormant until a certain time in which it's needed. Right. And so they're discovering that even their assumptions about DNA are some of it is proving wrong. Right. So it it it's like there's intelligence all through this thing. Right. And and so okay, so uh you part company with, with Richard Dawkins and others who would say that we are the intelligence product product of unintelligent processes. And so so where do you come down on the Darwinian versus creationist debate. Do you think those are the only two choices? Are you in between? Are you one side or the other? Or where do you come down on that? Well, I think there's a lot of ideas in creationism that are wrong. Right. Which is why the scientists, I mean, the, the kinds of examples that creationists are using. They're using pseudoscience and they're using bad ideas of science. I went to a, uh, a class they were talking about uh, dust on the moon, and they were talking about how dust filters in from space. And they were saying, well, being that there's no weather processes, that this dust would just collect on the moon, and it would be feet, if not tens, maybe even hundreds of feet thick by now. But in none of those conclusions did they take into account that the Earth has an atmosphere and the moon doesn't. So it's going to affect how those processes play out. So they're giving us pieces of information that when you look at them in detail, you say, well, I can rule that out. That's not a factor. You can't tell me that the Earth is only 6,000 years old because there ain't enough dust on the moon. Yeah. So it, uh, the, the idea is that we have taken the genealogy in the Bible back to Adam and Eve and say, 6,000 years ago it happened. Well, 6,000 years ago something happened, but it wasn't the beginning of everything. It was the beginning of the modern period. But things happened before that to lead up to that. And that's where I find the creation versus Darwinian bait to be flawed in creation side is that the timeline is all messed up. Uh, and the Mayan calendar is one of my big ones. I can put the Mayan calendar and the geological record together and say it fits. But the, the, uh, the national cycle of the Mayan calendar follows uh, the Judeo-Christian tradition. And it goes back to the development of early civilizations that were built on agriculture in which new rules and regulations had to be formulated in order for social cohesion to not self-destruct. So you had to develop these rules. People are going to work together in close proximity. They need to work together. They need to have these laws. Well, you wrote your book uh, before, I believe, uh, the world was supposed to end. Uh, yeah. And what if, any, what, if anything, did you learn about the credibility of the Mayan calendar after the quote-unquote non-events of last year. We're still here. The world didn't end. So what, what, if anything, did you learn from that? Well, the thing is, is the Mayan calendar never predicted the world would end. Yeah, that's good to know. That was the media saying that <laughs> the calendar ends, yeah. and so they started equating that to end-time prophecies. Yeah, a bit of an overreaction. Uh, my viewpoint is that the end of the Mayan calendar was a traditional, was a transitional point. Okay. So it, it follows the laws of evolution up to a certain point, and then it says at some point things are going to change. Uh, right now we are the first, the first uh, generation in the history of evolution that is able to leave this planet. 
hasn't been able to happen since life began. Now we can. And so, according to the evolutionists, we came from the stars. We're all made of star stuff. I believe that we are we are destined to return to the stars. And the Mayan calendar was the point of transition. It's the point which where we're no longer locked to this planet. So what do you so, what do you mean what do you mean specifically no longer locked to this planet? I understand when you use the term leaders, you mean you mean reach the stage of quote unquote evolution or development such that we have more power to control nature and peace and war, that kind of thing? Well, we do have that, but I'm saying as far as locked to the planet, we are now looking at the possibility of leaving the planet mm. and going somewhere else. I see. So in other words, our ability to explore the universe is now becoming an open channel to us. It was closed up until now. I mean, my grandfather watched the moon landing, and he refused to believe it was really happening, because yeah. in his eyes, it wasn't possible. Yeah. Okay, well, this this is Philip Merton. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. We're speaking with Roy Bork, the author of The Merging of Two Worlds, and we're sort of talking about the Mayan calendar and, its, uh, and what we learned from the Mayan calendar and what it might mean for the future. Now, Roy, let me let me give you a different spin on that from my perspective. You see, I I think that the concept of going to different worlds is metaphorical. I think it's better and more realistic to interpret it as being going to a higher stage of consciousness going to a different level of the mind as opposed to going to a different world. Now, <clears throat> I have no problem with interstellar exploration. It's a big universe out there, but only few people it will ever get the chance to go even as far as Mars. But we could all experience the higher level of consciousness. And, and so... So that that to me, I mean, that's I, I don't know what you think about that, but that's that's my spin on it. I, I I'm concerned about mixing well, metaphors. Well, following what you're saying, I don't believe that we can go to the stars in this form. Uh, as a, as a physical form, we cannot reach another star uh, by conventional means. Right. Uh, the human body either can't take it or it, it won't be able to survive it or it'll just take so long that it, you won't be alive when you get there. Right. Uh, either your offspring will be or whatever. Right. Which almost makes it a, a mute point. I mean, Yes. so if we were to return to the stars, I don't think we can return in a physical form. So when you talk about higher levels of consciousness, uh, you may be hitting on similar ideas that I have. Yeah, I think I think it's more promising to to think of it that way. Now, I also want to point out something that there are a lot of doubters, and I sort of include myself as one of them. Although I do have an openness about it, about the Mayan calendar, and about the biblical prophecies, and whether these older books tell us anything about our current world and about the future. But I think that what's interesting to me about it is that there is a chance that that they are that these older books are telling a story in different words in poetry a, a story that we are reliving in different ways with a different storyline playing different roles and so i think to me roy that's the fascination of things like the mind calendar see i I, I think that it's sort of, it's very interesting, and, and I say, I have the same reaction to the Bible, which is that we know the Bible was written in history. We know it was written in our world on parchment paper or stone tablets, whatever it was, by people in this world. They were articulating something. They weren't just making up everything. So... So it's important for us, I think, as a, even from an historical perspective, a scientific historical perspective, to like 
see whether there's truth there and whether we could learn something from them. So I, I, I wanted to make that point because that's the way I look at these historical documents. Yeah, I follow you on that. It's a matter of contemplating and then to to lead to another idea, another theory, another hypothesis, it opens questions. Right. And and that questioning always has to be there. Right. right. Uh, one of the, when it comes to end time prophecies, my brother had a dream that he was going to die when he was young. Hmm. And later on when the time came and went and he was still around, he had to ask himself what happened? And what he saw was that his life went through a transformation. He was still around, but the person that he was, intellectually, the way he thought about life, had gone through a total transformation, so that even though he was still here, he was not the same person. He had grown up, he had come up with all new viewpoints, uh, so he saw the end of his life not as the physical end, but as the transition. And so that's how I look at biblical prophecies and uh, the Mayan calendar, is that the end is a transition. It's not all of a sudden everything is going to be uprooted. But again, they use metaphors. And we have a tendency of taking these metaphors literally, and so we're waiting for the world to end, uh, in which case many worlds have ended and new worlds have taken their place. Civilizations have come and gone. Uh, what we would consider a world of the Mayans, uh, the whole Mayan civilization, there's just ruins left. Uh, so they were here, then uh, there's still Mayans around, but their culture is gone. Uh, the, the, the world of the Egyptians, uh, after the ending of the pyramid building, uh, that world sort of came to an end. We still have the evidence of it, but it's not still going on. Things have changed. We're moving on. Yeah, So I, I see it as transition. And I think that's a, a very good observation, and it really says something about marketing and about, uh, about um, the way that are the media advertises things you know there's so much overstatement in advertising we you know we want to have you know there whether it's uh you know a new diet or something that's going to turn you into arnold schwarzenegger you know overnight or something i mean there there's always these these promises and this concept of the world coming to an end you know it's 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 much more realistic to imagine that what is really meant is that there is a a new mindset a new worldview a new way of thinking that is really being changed and that leads me to to the the final topic i like to cover which is this concept of of the kingdom of heaven and and what what ultimately happens at the end? I mean, you you talk about in your interpretation of of the New Testament and and what was said about what it means to have the kingdom of heaven coming and where that kingdom really is. So, what happens in, in your studies? What do you think really? Let me put it this way: What's the most likely? event that would make sense to you that would that was predicted by by Jesus Christ in the New Testament with regard to the kingdom of heaven what what do you think is the most likely thing to occur for me the most likely thing would be the end of war okay uh the end of people seeing life as competitive uh people fighting each other for supremacy uh all the misconceptions that exist in the world if we could get rid of the misconceptions and realize that we're still part of that one big bang, we're, we're all connected in some way. We see ourselves as separate. And so we're constantly busy fighting each other to see who can come out on top. And as long as we keep on doing that, the fighting's not going to end. 
I believe that once we can see our way clear and realize that we're all part of the same origins, that we can learn to work together instead of working apart. Yeah, and I, I, I yes, I think that I think that I think that's really good. And and as you were talking, I was thinking, you know, there's a lot of a lot of good statements in the New Testament. And you you've uh, you're a student of the New Testament. Uh, I could tell from from reading your book, but I think there's that one phrase that Jesus Christ uses, something like "the kingdom of heaven is all around you," or the "kingdom of God is within you," is within you, and you can't see it. And it's sort of, I mean, this is this is where I come down on this because it's it's exactly consistent with what we're talking about, and that is, if if we expect to find peace by by following the direction of the orthodox preachers, and what he or she says is, uh, our religion's the best one, but you should be nice to people. That's if you compare that approach with the approach where we start rising in our spiritual consciousness, we start realizing the power of God within the the power of God within nature, and that this is a unifying theme. This is a unifying theme. So it's so it's something that grows from within as opposed to imposed from without. See there that's where I think the hope is. That's that's right, that's the hope. You you talk about what religion's teaching and then we should all be good to each other and yet a lot of the militant Muslims the first thing they teach their kids is how to kill. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we're we're going to be we're going to worship God, we're going to be good to each other, but we're not going to be good to others. I mean, that's the problem. Right. They they, they don't cross the boundaries. Right. It's we're good, they're bad. So they they create this division. So they're not part of us. They're separate. As long as they're separate, well, and we can demoralize them and we can uh, demonize them and then justify why we need to kill them. Right. Right. And, and another way to put that would, uh, would, would be to say you have to leave religion to find spirituality. And, and it, it takes a certain amount of courage to do that. But I think more and more people are going down that road. Uh, you, you said something uh, in your in your, at the end of your book. You you said that the return of the master is metaphysical, and what did you mean by that? It has to happen within you. Okay, you have to feel it within you. Right. Uh, love is not something I can give you. So I can talk about love, but until you feel it. Uh, Without experiencing it, you don't know what it is. It's like me trying to tell you how a potato tastes, but you've never had one. Yes. Without the experience, uh, you you can't know what a spiritualist is talking about. Right. So you have to feel it. Yeah, and I think I think we we have we have come full circle here, and I hope that the listeners as sort of followed what what we did here what I tried to do is that you know we start with this big picture about there being two different worlds the religious world and the scientific world and both of those worlds need to continue to undergo development progression evolution from the religious standpoint I think what we're saying is that is that if you look at at spirituality or as God as arising from within or part of nature and we realize that that's the unifying theme of spirituality and then from the scientific perspective we we see that there is so much harmony and order in the world and so many unexplained mysteries that at the end of the day there's really no reason to rule out or in fact not to include a spiritual source to this harmony. My own view of this is that there is nothing unscientific about doing that because, folks, that's what the evidence is showing. And if the evidence shows that there's an intelligence behind the scenes, then give it up. Let's just go in that direction. It makes things a lot easier. Now, Roy, it's been great talking to you. 
and you cover a lot of ground in your book and we obviously couldn't touch upon everything but why don't you just tell the listeners uh, how to find your book and maybe how to learn a little bit more about you well I have a website it's lengthy it's called uh, science and religion converging dot com it's all one word uh, but it will bring you to a website that talks about the book uh, that website uh, talks about me and it breaks down the book in various uh, chapters goes into some details of what's covered so it gives you a good broad view of what's going on okay so science and religion converging dot com okay and that's and that's great and again this is really the topic of our of our time and I think it's encouraging that more and more people are taking on this this topic and frankly most people are going in the same direction which is that science needs to get over its mindless godless perspective and religion perhaps needs to start looking within and to nature to find the true spirit of god this is philip merton this is conversations beyond science and religion thank you for listening you've been listening to conversations beyond science and religion with philip merton to find out more about Philip and his new book, The Heaven at the End of Science, visit heaven at the end of science.com.